Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of Real Travels. I'm your host, Lisa Iannucci. And on today's show, I have an interview with Candy Harrington, the founder of Emerging Horizons, an accessible travel news source, and the author of multiple books on accessible travel, including her latest, Barrier Free Travel The Grand Canyon for Wheelers and Slow Walkers. She and I also talk about her trips to several movie and TV filming locations. And we're also going to chat a little bit about the Oscars, and I'll share some interesting travel trends. Okay, let's get to it. February. When I post this, we're only one week away from the Oscars. The Academy Awards will air live February 9th on ABC. So who are your favorites to take home the gold? Truth be told, I haven't seen all of the movies, but I do have some favorites for the ones that I did see. So I'm just going to share them with you. I'd love to hear a little bit about who you think is going to take home their award this year. Uh, So for Best Picture, I've really only seen four of these. I've seen The Joker, Little Women. I saw a little bit of The Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I saw. So it's really hard to judge who I think is going to be the best movie. But I can tell you that from what I've seen out of, out of the ones I've seen, I have to say The Joker. Little Women I thought was very good, but I don't think it's as strong. And I really don't understand why Marriage Story is nominated, but I'm going to let you guys argue that one. I was not thrilled with it. I was actually quite bored with it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought was very creative. Not a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, uh, but the movie was very good. I just thought it was a little long and a little drawn out. And if it had been tightened up a little bit, probably would have gotten my attention more. I do plan on seeing Ford versus Ferrari and 1917 and Parasite, as well as Jojo Rabbit. Hopefully I'm going to be able to see all four of them before the Oscars, but I'm not quite too sure. I'm going to pass on The Irishman, just not something I'm really interested in seeing. So do you agree with me? Do you think that the Joker deserves the Best Picture nominee? Let me know. Now, actor in a leading role, I said this after I saw Joker, I literally stood up in my living room because I had watched it uh, and, and at the end of the movie I stood up with a cup in my hand and I said, and the award goes to Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. That was phenomenal. I mean, I don't really know. I, I know Leonardo DiCaprio's performance was fantastic. I still don't think it was on par with Joaquin's. So I'm going to stick with him. And I did not see The Two Popes, and I did not see Pain and Glory. So if Jonathan Price or Antonio Banderas did better than Joaquin for that performance, then power to him. But he just blew me away in that performance. So I'm going to move down. I'm not going to do all the categories, but the person that I'd like to see win for actress in a leading role, 
I don't think I'm going to get this right, but I would love to see Cynthia Erivo win for Harriet. I was mesmerized with Harriet, and I'm really upset that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I thought it was so well done, and her performance was fantastic. But I don't think she's going to ultimately win it. I think it's going, and I never get her name right, but I think it's going to either go to Little Women's, how do you pronounce her name, Soris Ronan, or Charlize Theron for uh, Theron for Bombshell. Now, Renee Zellweger, uh, from you know my understanding, did a great job. And Judy, I haven't seen that either. <laughs> Need to catch up. Uh, but I still think that it's going to go to either Little Women or Bombshell. So please don't put money on any of my bets, though. <laughs> I, I literally am just taking wild guesses here, but they're based on what I've seen. So I would just like to see if I, if anybody out there agrees with me. So actor in a supporting role, um, I'm going to go with Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because I honestly think that he nailed <laughs> the aura and the, the feeling of Mr. Rogers. And I, it was an odd movie. I'm not going to get into how odd I actually thought the movie was, but I thought he did a fantastic job. And I think that he should get actor in a supporting role, but he's got some stiff competition with Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci and Brad Pitt. I mean, those are, you know, these are, amazing actors so it's really hard to say in which direction this is going to go but I'm going to put my vote on Tom Hanks and finally for actress in a supporting role there's Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell Laura Dern Marriage Story Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit Margot Robbie for Bombshell and Florence Pugh for Little Women and I again for me, it's a toss-up, but I'm going to guess um, for Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit. So those are my picks. I'm not going to keep going to do animated or anything like that, although I do have to say that I did see Klaus and, of course, Toy Story 4. Um, the, all of the animated movies are incredible, but I, I would love to see Toy Story 4 get it, but Klaus was really, really good too. Uh, but I'm going to just make that my last vote. Let's do my last vote on that, and let's go with Toy Story 4 for animated feature film. Okay, so like I said, let me know. Reach out and let me know if you agree with my picks or not. So now, I every day in my mailbox, I get a lot of press releases, but this one caught my eye. It was from Travel Zoo. They reached out to me to let me know that they had done a survey of, with some really interesting facts, and they knew that I covered movie and TV shows. And, and interestingly, they found out that 65% of the people who responded and 69% of Americans have visited a landmark because they saw it in a movie or TV show. So here's, this is the results of their Travel Zoo's Global Winter Travel Trends Survey. So the survey also uncovered this. 58% hear about landmarks they visited or would like to visit through TV and movies. 47% get inspiration to visit off-the-beaten-track destinations and landmarks from movies, documentaries, and TV shows. Okay, both of those sound like me because that's where I get a lot of my inspiration. 52% strongly agree that visiting a country's landmark gives them a better understanding of the country's culture. I just want to say duh to that because it's kind of obvious. The next one bothered me a little bit. It's 34% prefer man-made attractions over natural wonders. 
Now, I have become more and more interested in natural, um, in going to the national parks, and those are natural wonders. And the the pictures I see, the the videos I've watched for the parks that I've not been to yet, just take my breath away. And I don't think that there are a lot of man-made attractions that can really do that same thing to me. Maybe they can, but I would like to see that number actually go up a little higher than 34% because there's so many natural wonders to just go out and enjoy. They're there. Go, go see them. 90% prefer to visit off the beaten path landmarks. And that's actually pretty cool because it also kind of spreads the tourism out a little bit. Uh, everybody's going to see the common landmarks and being able to go see the off the beaten path landmarks. You know, it's, it just, it gives you a different depth into your vacation and to your trip. So I like that statistic. 68% prefer to see landmarks or sites with someone else so they can reminisce years later. And this last one um yeah, it shows you the world we're living in nowadays. 35%, please let this number drop later, say they would choose to visit a landmark or site in order to take a selfie for social media. Now, guys, social media, I'm big into social media. I love taking selfies. I, you know, I, I get it because you're there. But be there for the experience of being there. When my husband and I went to Niagara Falls, I'm standing at the edge looking at Niagara Falls, and I put my phone away for a little while. I was going to take a few photos, but there's, there were people next to me taking photos and videos, and that's great. And then they walked away. They had just gotten there. They took a couple photos and some video, and then they walked away. They didn't put their videos down or their camera down to enjoy it just seeing it. To this day, I can remember standing in that spot, seeing that. I can hear the noise of the, of the water. I remember the smell. You don't get that just taking a selfie. Put your cameras down. Enjoy it for a while. Grab your selfie at the end. If you want to post it on social media, go for it. But go for the experience for yourself. Leave social media as a side thing, okay? So that's pretty much what the travel trends survey said and i want to thank travel zoo for sharing that with me they conduct these surveys four times a year and they actually interviewed nine thousand people across australia canada china france germany japan spain the uk and the usa so just to give you an idea what the varied um you know what the varied poll was and where the responses were coming from so those are interesting to statistics i hope we can change a couple of them but we'll see what happens when they take the uh poll again next year maybe so let's get to the reason one of the reasons why you guys are here and that's to my real inter real travels interview of the week with candy harrington she's a longtime friend of mine but more importantly she's the founder of emerginghorizons.com and the author of multiple books on accessible travel we talk about that. We talk about her trips, as I mentioned, to various TV and film locations. So I know I'm probably going to introduce her in the clip as well, too. So let's just get to it. Enjoy the interview. So today on Real Travels, my guest is not only a great writer, she's even a better friend, Candy Harrington, who's also the author 
of barrier-free travel in the Grand Canyon. She's the founder of Emerging Horizons, a travel resource for wheelchair users and slow walkers. And I think I can call her a film and TV travel buff somewhat. And we're going to get into a little bit of what she's seen on her road trip. Welcome to the show, Candy. Yeah, it's great to be here. It is so good to have you. Um, you've done so much in, in the travel writing arena, and you have a huge following with the work that you do in barrier-free travel. Talk to my audience a little bit about how you got into travel writing, because I love your story and your journey, how you ended up here. Well, I had been doing just mainstream travel writing for probably about 20 years, and I was getting really frustrated with it. Uh, it was just all fluff, and I wanted something with more meat to it. And actually, just a friend suggested I look into doing accessible travel for wheelchair users and slow walkers. And um, I just made the jump. I really didn't think about it much, and it took me about a year or so. I didn't even know anybody in a wheelchair back then. And so I had to do a lot of research, but I'm a journalist, so I'm good at research, and um, that's what I was able to do. And like I said, I didn't even know anybody in a wheelchair back then, and that's all changed. I've been doing that for about 25 years, so um, it's really a passion for me now. And that's what I love, too, because a lot of people who are in wheelchairs or use walkers, when I talk to them, they're like, well, I can't travel. I have, a, I have a wheelchair. I can't get around. And that's so not true, right? I mean, you've made, obviously, a living doing this. How do you approach people who have that mentality that they can't get around and do some of these things that other people have done? Well, I think the best way to really do that is by illustration, just by showing them some things that are accessible that they, you know, just never had an idea would be. Um, I just talked to a man in New Zealand this week, and he's a real adventure buff, and he had an accident, oh, about five or ten years ago, and he founded a company, and now he takes people out hang gliding and rock climbing, and he's doing all the things that he did prior to his injury and sharing them with other people. And I think once you tell somebody, like, look, you can do this still if you really want to. This is, you know, whatever you did when you were able-bodied, just because you're in a wheelchair, you might have to do it in a different way, but you can still have the experience. Now, you are not in a wheelchair and do not use a walker. So how do you find out the information for your readers and make sure that this is something that they can really go out and do? Well, the thing is that there's not one definition of accessible, and usually when somebody is thinking about accessible, they're thinking about what they have at home, what the equipment they have, and, you know, for it to be accessible, it has to be exactly like that or very close to it. So I've always just described the access like telling people how high the bed is, where the grab bars are, if there's a roll-in shower, if there's accessible parking, how long paths are. And that helps them decide then if that's something that they can do. Um, I, I think when somebody says it's just ADA compliant or accessible, most people really don't know what that is because most people don't know the law. They just know what works for them. So you have... Oh. 
my audience needs to know, like, I'm kind of obsessed with your travel plans because I love when you post on Facebook that you have a new map of the direction you're going, where you're going, what your stops are. And you actually get in the car, or I believe you might use a trailer, I can't remember, but you, you go and you go to these places and you, you will not mention something unless you've actually visited there, correct? That's correct. We're, we're really big on road trips, although occasionally we do fly. But, um, yeah, I think it's really, really important, especially in this day and age of misinformation, of, you know, actually going there, seeing something, and then reporting about it, not just looking on the Internet and finding, you know, what somebody else says, because that could be wrong. And it's especially important when you're talking about access because, you know, somebody could get there and not be able to get in the door, you know. So you really owe it to your readers, I think. And what I like is that you included, you have this one part on your website on Emerging Horizons, which I never would have thought of, which was accessible rest stops. Because you think about the destination or the parks or, you know, uh, the hotels or the places that you're staying, but I never really thought about what happens when you're on the road and you need to stop and you have in search of wheelchair accessible roadside rest stops. I mean, you think about all the little details. It's, it's amazing. Well, that, the reason you think about the details or you know the details is like, well, you've been on the road and you've needed these. Again, it, it's actually going out and researching it. It's uh and I'm sure you as a writer know, too, when you, you pick up something and you, you look and round up articles are, are absolutely horrible for this. And you can tell the person has never visited any of the places that they're writing about. And I just think that's, you know, just really unfair to readers. Have you ever called out a place that said that they're wheelchair accessible and you get there and it's like, uh, no? Um, in a way, I have. My okay. If I get to some place and it's really horrible, I don't feel I want to give them publicity about it. Um, so instead, I I will write about the place, like and not give the name, but say, you know, here's what can happen sometimes. This is what I found. It's not accessible. For some reason, they think that I went to one place and they said we have an accessible entrance. And that's great. I got there, and there were two two-by-fours um, for somebody to come up, you know, and made a makeshift ramp. Um, and, I mean, I'm not going to – I mean, I, I'm not going to even bother to give them one bit of publicity, but I've told this story I don't know how many times. So sometimes, you know, you do have to ask a lot of questions. Now, those questions and all of these, all of these materials that you've collected in these notes – You've written several books on the topic. Talk to us a little bit about the books that you've done and your latest that's out now in the Grand Canyon. Well, I have a um, national park kind of series I'm doing. The Grand Canyon was the latest one that I've done. And I also included not only hotels and lodgings in the Grand Canyon and, of course, all the sites and everything is 
rated for accessibility. But I also included things along Route 66 because basically you're going to drive to the Grand Canyon if you're going to go there. And there are a lot of cool places to stop along the way. And even some old uh, stretches of Route 66 that you can drive on. And it's a really nostalgic kind of a little trip to take. Of course, I think the Grand Canyon is, is a classic road trip. Um, you remember the Brady Bunch went to the Grand Canyon. That was a <laughs> road trip and vacation. You know, So, um, yeah, it's very nostalgic and... Uh, that's pretty much that book, and I have also other books along the same vein on um, like Glacier, Yellowstone, Yosemite. I'm going to be doing one on Death Valley, the Utah National Parks, Washington National Parks. So national parks have been just a, a real theme in the last five or six years with me. And Well, first of all, the Brady Bunch, isn't that the one where they find that, like, necklace? That, but like, or was that Hawaii? I think that was Hawaii. The one I remember about in the Grand Canyon was Alice got on the the burrow and went down to the bottom <laughs> of the Grand Canyon. That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> and their station wagon. That's that's about it. Oh my God! Uh, and there was that. Nowadays, it's like they're almost like new again because of what HGTV did with the uh, Brady Bunch house uh, and recreating oh, yeah. it. Uh, oh my goodness! But anyway, enough about the Brady Bunch. We can we can talk about that and go back in time. But you also, when you're on the road, have taken like little side trips to do things that you've enjoyed. And we that's what I want to get into a little bit now about because you, as I mentioned, are I don't like you said maybe not as big of a film and TV travel buff as I am, but you enjoy a good TV show and a good film and going to see different filming locations. How did you get involved in, in stopping to see where some of those locations were along the way? Well, I think probably what drew me into it was Breaking Bad because I, I just love the series. I was a huge fan. So I have a friend that lives in Albuquerque and I went to stay with her and um, she had never even seen Breaking Bad, but um, she ended up going, we're going to find some filming sites. I want to do this. It'll just be fun. And so I did some research on the Internet and made our little tour for the whole day and, and dragged poor Karen along with us. And um, I really had a great time. It was real interesting. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And um, so I decided to, what did you, you know, see? try to. Well, we started, we, we went to Hank and Marie's house, and we went to Saul Goodman's mm -hmm. office. And of course, you have to go to Walter's house and the car wash. And at the car wash, it was really interesting because there was this man just sitting there in the car. So I, you know, being my usual extroverted self, went over and started talking to him. And he had a stack of newspapers with Walter's obituary in him, and he was selling them. And I, I really went in the market, but I decided to talk to him anyway. And he lives there, and he's a handyman, and his name happened to be Jesse. And he had been an extra <laughs> on some of the shows, and he he went to all the, the filming locations and watched them, and he even had photos. So he had the photos, so I got in the car, and he's showing me his photo album and telling me stories. And, you know, it was just um, – it was a lot more interactive than I uh, really had expected. It was a great um, – Thing. So I, I just am really 
tried to be aware of my surroundings when I, I went to other filming sites. And, and you know, because sometimes there are local fans that just kind of hang out there. And first of all, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that you broke off that friendship because nobody needs a friend like that who's never seen Breaking Bad. Am I, am I right? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, you know, and, and it was interesting because Charles and I were trying to explain the plot to her, and she's a very logical person, and she thought that it was just so silly that nobody is going to go out to any of these sites. And we got there, and, you know, there was a bunch of people at the first when we went to Hank and Marie's house, and, and she couldn't believe this. She she just, like, she, she actually, I do think she ended up watching it, um, or at least a couple episodes, because she was so intrigued by this uh, this following, this almost cult following that they had. <laughs> I love, that is literally one of my favorite TV shows in the last, 15 years I said it, it it seriously is is so well written and incredibly well done and I, I really have not found a lot to, to top it um, and it, it's just amazing I'm I miss it so much I still to this day wish it was back on the air but I know it has to end when it has to end and then you had the Better Call Saul series which I couldn't really get into as much as Breaking Bad, I watched a few episodes of the first season, and I kind of lost interest after a while. But do you do you watch that one as well? Well, I'm I'm kind of in your shoes there. I've I've watched it. Um, I went to see. I went back to Albuquerque, and of course, you know, drug Karen um, to see the Better Call Saul sites too. But I really think that the Breaking Bad had the stronger characters. I just liked. You know, Saul when he was Saul Goodman, not when he was Jimmy. The it just doesn't do it for me. But we did go and we found his office, the nail salon that uh, he, he was, uh, you know, practicing out of. And we went to Loyola's restaurant, which was where Mike would, you know, basically meet his clients. And and that was even in Breaking Bad. And we went by Chuck's house. And there's no mailbox there. Chuck McGill, that was he was the one that had some sort of weird allergy to everything electronic, and everybody had to take off their pagers and cell phones and watches and anything that was electronic and put them in the mailbox before they were allowed to enter the house. He never left his house. And sadly, there's no mailbox there. I guess that's big. They put that up for the filming. So that was my only disappointment on that one. And That's not a bad course, little disappointment to have, though, with all of the different sites you can see for both of the shows. That's true. That's true. And then, of course, in both shows, I went to um, the um, um, the Twisters restaurant, which was the Los Pollos Hermanos. Um, chicken restaurant, mm-hmm. and they have a, you know, they have a nice little um, sign as you're walking in, and they have the old logo that they used in the show, so you can take your photo by it, and, you know, I mean, their food's pretty good, too, so that was actually our lunch stop, and, uh, you know, it, it, all in all, it was, it was a fun, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I just liked Breaking Bad. I thought the writing was just spot on in Breaking Bad, and, it lacked a little in Better Call Saul. But, yeah, still some fun sites to see. 
Now, you've been to other places, too. We talked a little bit about Movie Road uh, in California. Tell us a little bit about that um, and, and the museum that you mentioned that there, it's there. Yeah, um, it's the Alabama Hills, and, of course, it's the Movie Road. Now, this is in eastern, on the eastern Sierras. It's on Highway 395. It's in Lone Pine. It's in the middle of pretty much nowhere. And it was known for um, going way back in the 1920s. A lot of Westerns were filmed there, but it, just because of the, the great you know, open spaces. But they also filmed things like um, The Twilight Zone and Star Trek V. And one of my favorite movies ever, <laughs> Tremors, uh, was filmed there. And just as you're driving along, you can see like, Oh, yeah, this, this would be where those tremor creatures would be. And they have a really good film museum, too, right near where you turn off from Movie Road. And, you know, if you go in there, there's just so much background on it. And Movie Road itself is very well done because they have actually plaques and everything to where things were filmed. So it's not like you're wandering out there in, you know, the middle of nowhere and trying to figure out where this was filmed or that was filmed. Um, so I, I think that one is really well done. It's a nice little driving trip, but definitely go to the museum first before you go down Movie Road because you'll get a lot of good background information there. I, I looked up to see like what some of the other movies that they um, filmed there and they listed like The Lone Ranger from the 1930s and Django Unchained and Gladiator and Iron Man because I'm a huge Marvel fan. So, oh, there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's really cool. And now, did you know about the movie roads um, or like ahead of time and you planned that as part of your road trip or did you kind of bump into that and say, hey, I want to take this side trip? Well, you know, I was doing some research on in the eastern Sierras um, and, and we live in California. We live in, well, the western Sierras. It, it's a favorite place for me to go. There's this whole 395. There's a lot of interesting things over there, and I like to hike. But um, there's not much to do in Lone Pine, so I just sort of Googled Lone Pine to see what they had, if there was anything. And, well, you know, the, the museums came, the museum and Movie Road came up, and it's like, this is after we've done Breaking Bad, and it's like, well, of course we're going to do this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what is it like like when you're standing there because some people don't understand like why I like to do this and why other people like to do this and even though I'm guessing that my my podcast listeners are also fans who, who want to do this so you might have some people checking us out for the first time or like why would you just go to stand somewhere where something was filmed well how would you answer that well, you know, I think it's very. If you if you're like in an outdoor environment like Movie Road, you can just almost put yourself in. If you've seen the movie, and again, Tremors is going to be one that because I, I like that, and you can just imagine, you know, the the actors and the scenes and everything. It's almost like you're just in your own little world. Um, sometimes you can't. Uh, some of the Breaking Bad uh, sites, especially. 
um, Saul's office, it's, it's not real evident what it is. And, well, in that respect, I was really lucky to, of course, you know, run into another guy who's a local who, you know, showed me exactly where it was filmed and what they did to it. And, you know, they put the big old Statue of Liberty blow-up thing on top of this hooligan's place. So it's, um, you know, just interesting if you can talk to people and also just like you're in another world. You're there. It's like, oh, yeah, I can see it. This is so cool. See, that's what I think, too. It's it's about imagination. Like when I'm watching a movie and what started all of this for me was under the Tuscan sun where I wanted to go see places because I just I, I could picture myself like jumping through that that movie screen and being in that movie and at that filming location I mean just it's Tuscany it's gorgeous but you know that's kind of where it started for me is and it's about using your imagination and transporting yourself from this everyday life that you have to somewhere else that you've enjoyed seeing on television so I think that's a great way to put it it's like people use your imagination (laughs) definitely um so um Again, we talked about some other places that you've been to, and uh, one was the filming site for a movie that Betty Davis was in. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yes. Actually, it was filmed, it, they've used this for a number of things. This is in Louisiana, um, <clears throat> right midway between Baton Rouge and New Orleans on the bayou there. It's called Huma's House, and it's an old sugar plantation. Now, they have tours, they have a restaurant, actually they have two restaurants, and they have overnight accommodations there. It's a big inn now. It's also a great wedding venue. But, like you said, um, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte was filmed there in 1964 with Betty Davis. And if you take the tour, they have the room that she stayed in preserved as it was when she was there. And... They have a lot of, you know, they'll, they'll tell you about the filming. It was used for the exteriors of this mansion that she uh, lived in. It was supposed to um been in Los Angeles, I believe, but this was her, her movie star mansion, so to speak. And there were also, they filmed a lot of commercials there. It's a popular filming spot. They, um, Fletch Lives was uh, filmed there, and they mm-hmm. also, although I don't watch it, um, they they filmed an episode of The Bachelor there a couple years ago too. Oh, that's okay. We can skip right over that. Although yeah. I mean, I'll give them credit that you know it, they have brought a lot of tourism to different areas where people will see uh, where they went on the show and want to go there too. Um, so I mean, credit for that to you know being like, hey, this was on The Bachelor and. People are making plans to go simply because they saw it on The Bachelor. The show itself, we're just going to let that conversation go. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, a big fan. I, I, I'm off. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that one too. <laughs> yeah, I, and so you know, we've talked about some of the uh, locations that you visited. They have a tendency to skew more towards like some of the older movies. Um, you know, are you an old, like an old movie buff? Well, I'm old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Look, you said that. I didn't say that, everybody, just so you heard it here. I did not call her old. I just asked if she was an old movie buff. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, at times, I like actually just good entertainment or, you know, mm-hmm. well-done movies. There are some that I like today. There are some that, you know, are classics from the past. So I am I, I like something well-done, well-written, and, and, yeah. So I, I have a little bit of, you know, eclectic interest, a little bit of everything, I expect. What's your favorite movie right now? Like, if you had to pick one right now, what would your favorite movie be? You know, I'm going to go back to the Breaking Bad and go with El Camino. <laughs> oh, that was so good. I, I I absolutely love it because it had it brought the Breaking Bad um, actors or, or characters that I felt were the strongest ones, you know, forward. I mean, the ones, I mean, they all died in Breaking Bad. They had to. This is the only way that, well, not all of them, but Walter died. And, well, most of them died. And Jesse went who knows where. But um, yeah, it was. I have to say that's one of the the movies that I've I've really enjoyed lately, and I hesitated watching it because I wasn't a a Better Call Saul fan, and I thought, oh, I don't want another disappointment. My 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 bar is just too high. Let me let's just leave it as it was with good memories. But I totally enjoyed it. Yeah, but it was fantastic, and. Um, I completely agree with you on everything that you said about it. So now there have been, I want to talk about a couple of other places that you've gone and then maybe you can give uh, our listeners some of your tips on if they want to do what you've done, how they should go about it. So let's talk a little bit about the Monument Valley in Utah. What did you see there? Well, now this is another one where you just have to use your imagination a bit. Um, it was where Harry Gold, Golding was a local, and he introduced director John Ford to the area way back in the 1930s or so. And a lot of the old westerns were filmed there. So if you can, you know, drive along, and you can just almost imagine the wagon trains or the Indians on the ridge getting ready to attack. Um, and, and they also have a nice uh, museum there that sort of tells people what happened and what was filmed where. But, again, you're going to have to use some of your imagination. And if you've never seen an old Western, you, you might want to, you know, definitely want to go to the museum first. And speaking about, you know, old older shows, you have, like, Gunsmoke, that is also an old older show. And you saw the filming site of that at, at one of the national parks. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's pretty much between Zion and Bryce uh, Canyon. It's it's a private site, but you can um, you know stop in on the side of the road and see it. It's um, if you want to go to it, Google Indian Cliff Canyon Ranch because it's right across the street from that, and um, you can you can see like. You know, the mar- I mean, it's falling down. It's, it's still affidated. It's owned by a private person now. But you can see the, um, like, where Doc's office was and where the Marshall Station was. And um, it, it's kind of cool, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I guess the guy that bought it was thinking of turning it into an amusement park, and well, that didn't work out really well for him. So it's just kind of sitting out there rotting. <laughs> It's that's so sad. That is so sad. You know, now when you when you've gone and and gone to all these different sites, you know, you've done things that you've wanted to do. If if I were to say to you, 
what should I keep in mind when I'm taking road trips like this? And you are such a good planner, but what should I keep in mind if I want to go to some of these places? Well, you know, I think the first thing, and I, I kind of covered this a little bit, was, you know, be aware of your environment. Look around for other people. I've I've talked to, like, a lot of Breaking Bad fans um, on both trips to Albuquerque, and, you know, that's where I got some more insight. You know, I got to know the guy at the car wash, and um, I found another guy who um, told me a little bit about, you know, the – hooligans which was where Saul's office was and some of the filming there so kind of be open and look around and you know go up and approach people and talk to them and a lot of people they love sharing stories too but I also have to say another thing is we have to be respectful I did see some bad behaviors we don't need to be going up and taking selfies on people's porches and doing stuff like that. I mean, the sites are there for us to see, and if we don't behave properly, you know, perhaps they won't be in the future or they won't be advertised or nobody will tell anything because, you know, we don't want these people here. So I think those are a couple things that you should really keep in mind. And also, again, if there's a museum or a visitor center, uh, go to that before you go to the sites, like definitely in the Alabama Hills and Monument Valley, because you'll get so much more out of it. I think those are some really great tips, and, and I completely agree with you about people's behaviors. And you talked about uh, the people um, in Albuquerque, then the home of Walter White, and people at one point were throwing pizzas on top of the roof because that's what he did in the show and the people who owned the house at the time were very from what i heard there's a tour company that um runs breaking bad tours in albuquerque and from what i had been told these people were very cordial about letting people come up to the house and take photos but when they started throwing pizzas on the roof they had to actually build a fence around the property so that, you know, you could still take a picture of the property, but you can't reach the roof. <laughs> and it was Right, so and I, I was there, yeah. you know, prior to. I mean, they were still happy to see people, and they would come out and pose and, and wave to people and everything. But I talked to people that, you know, visited like a year or two later, and it was like, no, that it was not the same. They, they were tired of it. And who can blame them? I mean, you know, this is their home too. So, Absolutely. Now, if people wanted to get copies of your books or learn more about what you do, where would you point them to? Well, I would probably point them to everything I have. All of my work uh, about accessible travel is on Emerging Horizons, which is emerginghorizons.com. My books are there. I've written a little bit there about um, film sites and um, a lot about road trips, a lot about national parks. So, and, and definitely, you know, everything is at a focus on accessible travel. And do you use Twitter or Instagram? Can anybody follow you there? Uh, I'm pretty much a Facebook person. I do have a, a Twitter account at CB Harrington and I'm Candy Harrington on Facebook. I'm, not an Instagram person yet. My husband is the photographer, so 
I let him do that stuff. Speaking of your husband, let's talk a little bit about him so that oh, good. know he is he's the, he's your photographer. He does all the photos for you. Talk a little bit about what it's like to to work with your husband and, and do these trips together and put these projects together. Yeah, you know, it either works or it doesn't work for people, I think. Um we're t- we're 24/7 with each other. Um we both have a enormous sense of humor uh because you know on these road trips not everything goes perfectly um and so you have to be able to laugh about things when you know and not blame the other person um he's only a photographer he takes care of all of our web resources um he's my technical support person um he does uh, he he shoulders a lot of the load that you know he doesn't he makes me look good um, and I, I love him for that. So, um, yeah, big, big shout out to him. So it's, uh, but you know, we love traveling and working together, and it, it is what it is. Not everybody can do it, um, and I, I know that from hearing stories from friends. So, I'm glad we can. That's awesome. And his name is Charles Pinnell. Am I correct? That's correct. Now, is there somewhere where people can find his photography? Does he have his own website? Um, no, he pretty much puts everything on emerging horizons. He he does some things that, you know, for himself that he likes. It's you know, he's starting to get into um photographing the night skies and such, but mostly he's just uh, his work is just on emerging horizons. Nice. Well, I am so excited that you and I finally had a chance to talk. The work that you do is incredible the trips that you take um, and and when you post about them and what you're doing, uh, I think it's fantastic. And like I mentioned earlier, and I'll say it again, I'm envious because you have such awesome planning skills. And I get so excited when you put up a new map and it's like, Hey, we're going here. And I'm like, Oh, where are they going this time? It's so cool <laughs> to watch it, watch what you do and, and your adventures. And I'm glad that you came on to real travels to share them with me. So thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for having me. Candy, thank you so much again for being part of Real Travels this week. And make sure you buy her book and check out her website at EmergingHorizons.com. Before I let you go, I'm sure you're all on the edge of your seat as to who the podcaster or YouTuber of the week is for me. So who am I listening to and enjoying? This week, it's the RV Atlas podcast with Stephanie and Jeremy. They're a husband and wife team who are very fun together. And their story is that they actually had two kids and a marriage on the rock. So they bought an RV, started camping, and they've been successful ever since. They also provide a great deal of good information on traveling, especially in the national parks, camping, uh, cooking in an RV. And so if you're in the mood to RV or even if you just enjoy camping, it's a great listen. So give it a shot and tell them I sent you there. Or if you <laughs> or if you don't want to afford a marriage counselor, just get an RV. Yes, exactly. That is my husband, EJ, chiming in. (laughs) And uh, so on that note, I will be back next week with another edition of Real Travels. I would love to hear from you about what you're up to. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Virgin Traveler or DM me on Instagram at the, The Virgin Traveler. I also have a Real Travels page on Facebook, too, so there's plenty of opportunities to keep up with keep up with what's going on with me and ways to reach out to me. So thank you so much for stopping by and listening and have a great traveling week.
Thank you.